Hello, 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 Power Kids, and welcome to another Power Kid podcast. I am your host, Phil Albritton, and every episode, it is my honor, privilege, and joy to bring you great conversations with great people all over the world making great things for kids. I'm very excited about our show today. I have Steve Markey on the line. Let me introduce you to Steve. Steve is the new VP of sales and marketing for Hogwild. He has over two decades of experience in the toy industry, including VP of sales for Green Toys, head of global sales for Crazy Aaron's Putty World, and VP of sales and marketing for Plan Toys. He is taking the reins on all marketing initiatives and leads the Hogwild North American sales team. He's executing a strategic return to their novelty toy roots and seeking out some new and unique retail channels. Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Phil. 100%, Steve. Happy to have you. Very excited. I, I love your diverse toy background. You've worked for a lot of different types of companies in a lot of different categories. So I'm very excited to dive into that today. But we'll start where we start. How did you get started in the toy industry? Yeah, so I got started in the toy industry um, back in around 1990. Um, I was not very good at, at most things at school, but I, I somehow managed to figure out how to learn languages. Mm. And so by the time I graduated college, I was, I was able to speak French, Spanish, German, and some Italian. And um, so I figured that I would be able to use that to get into some kind of international business position um, had no idea what that would look like, didn't even contemplate the toy industry at the time. But um, Ertel, based out of Dyersville, Iowa, wanted somebody to, to run their Europe, Middle East and Africa business. And they didn't particularly care if, they, if you had any toy knowledge or experience. They figured they could teach you that. But they wanted someone who could go to you know, most countries in Europe and speak to distributors and retailers in their own language. And so um, I, I talked to a few companies. And on the same day, I got a job offer, offer from Ertel, and I got a job offer from the biggest doggy door manufacturer in the world to run their international business. And fortunately, <laughs> even though the doggy door, doggy door job paid a lot more, I, I chose the toy job and been there ever since. <laughs> Was that a tough decision, Steve, at that, at that time? It, it, you know, it probably took me almost a quarter of a second. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go toys. Let's go toys. So you, so you, you dove right into just massive international business. Uh, probably a lot of travel on your schedule, no doubt. Talk to me about globe trotting and meeting with different distributors. What were they looking for? What did you learn in those early days? Culture to culture. How was toy sales different? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, we were fortunate at Ertel in that. We had some some properties um, in the model kit line. We had the license for Star Trek and Star Wars, and that pretty much translates everywhere. Mm, um, right. But then we also had John Deere tractors, and it's hard to sell a John Deere tractor in Cyprus. So <laughs> you know, it was um, so it, it definitely you know you you kind of had to figure out which products to focus on in in which market, um, and it, it definitely varied from country to country. But you could also you know get some small triumphs where. You know, maybe you could sell a John Deere diecast tractor in a, you know, in Portugal or something, and you'd be like, "Wow!" You know, you can really there is a market for everything everywhere if you if you dig deep enough. 
Yeah. Yeah. I've had that same experience where you, you can be sitting in a room and something comes out on, on the table. Maybe it's an X-Wing fighter. Maybe it's the Starship Enterprise and and different cultures, different languages. When that comes out, that iconic shape, we all look around the table. We're smiling. We're nodding. We all know that same story. And so it's a great uh, it's a great connector. Brands can be a great connector uh, universally. Absolutely. And, and I've been fortunate that um Throughout my career, I've tended to work more on brands than, than actual kind of one-off hit fads and licensed products. I've really been looking, you know, I've been kind of, um, I guess, trusted to either create or be a custodian of some really, really great brands within the toy industry. Now, talk to me about the crossroads of creating great brands and then selling those brands. How involved do you think salespeople need to be in the creation of the brands to really understand them? I, I think they have to be there from day one. I mean, I, I've been fortunate and, you know, I, I can use probably both Green Toys and Hogwild are great examples of this because, you know, I've always spent a lot of time at retail, in stores, seeing what sells, seeing where the gaps on the shelves are. Um, seeing what packaging trends are, seeing what signage trends are, and and really taking that back. And if you can implement that in the in the product design process, rather than trying to chase it afterwards, you, you've just got a great head start on things. Know the road before Absolutely. you start the trip. Uh, m- m- makes a lot of sense. So between 2007 and 2015, um, yeah, let's go to your green toys days. You were heavily focused on developing eco friendly. Brands, and that was early days of that discussion. Uh, take us back there. I'm wondering what types of challenges you were overcoming when you would sit down with Green Toys product. Did the buyers get it? Was there pushback? Was there pressure? Was everybody on board? Um, early days of Green Toys. What was that like? You know, it was. I, I think we we did kind of that traditional um, launch model of, of starting with specialty because you can get your message out there and you can create evangelists. So we really focused on specialty for the first probably five or six years before we, you know, we actually had um, people, you know, like like the big major chains wanting wanting to buy our products, and we actually said no for quite a long time because we just we we just felt that we wanted to build a, a grassroots brand, um, and so you know if, if we spent a lot of time with with the specialty retailers and talking with their salespeople and talking with our sales reps. Then we we just basically built a, an army of evangelists who would really you know talk knowledgeably about our products, and and passionately. Yeah, dig into that a little bit. What is the shift that happens once your product finds its way to mass? How does the customer react differently? Um, maybe your team internally uh, it, it changes things internally on on your team. Um, what are those changes? Because I've seen that happen before. You can have this great product that's really grassroots that moms really love and they're blogging about, and then suddenly it goes to mass, and there's almost this there, there can be almost this universal fall off of all of all of that fandom. It, you know, do they do they feel like they're selling out now so with it's, that it's brand? A, it's a great question. So what um, we were very, very, I, I think, strategic about how we did it in the sense that um, we, we knew that we wanted to take it to mass. And part of that was because we wanted to get our message across to more people that eco-friendly toys and packaging were important. And that's great to do at 5,000 specialty retailers. But if you can do it at 20,000 mass accounts, then you are basically getting your message out to more consumers. So we always felt that that was an important part of what we were doing. 
But at the same time, we didn't want to betray the specialty customers that, that have basically built our company up. So our strategy was always to have a separate product offering from us. Um, that way, the product that you could buy in any of the, you know, any of the, the chain stores was not the same product that you could buy at a specialty store. And that way you couldn't really compare price. You couldn't compare packaging. You, you, you were not comparing apples to apples at any point. And that was really important to us because we knew that we had a debt of gratitude to the specialty retailer. Very good. Very good. Great strategy there. Uh, you spent 21 years leading Big Tent. Uh, and I want to ask you about your experiences there managing rep groups all over the world. Um, 21 years is a long time. How did, how did the sales process change? How did sales in general change? Um, I, I would I would say that you know the the reason I set up Big Ten originally was because um, I spotted a little um, kind of a market opportunity initially in the U.S., which was that I'd, I'd worked with brands like Whammo, um, Wild Planet, Uncle Milton, um, and and Primetime, who all kind of had this crossover from toys into sporting goods channels. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, and I'd worked with a lot of the sporting goods retailers like like Dick's and um, Academy and Sports Authority at the time who were in my hometown of Denver. And so we just basically reached out to a lot of toy companies we knew and just said, hey, you know, I think, you know, there's a big opportunity for you guys in the sporting goods. Uh, and they they were like, we've been trying to do that for years, but we just can't get in. And so we put together um, a team that worked with all the major sporting goods retailers around the country and just just really built up that toy business. It's kind of that outdoor activity, water toy business within the sporting goods channel. And then we took that internationally. So we um, basically, you know, started working with international distributors. Um, and then we started going direct to retail, uh, particularly in Western Europe, where that's, you know, and, and also in Asia, we did a lot of direct to retail in Asia, um, especially South Korea and Japan. Yeah, such a massive opportunity to take those products into sporting good chains. And, and, and during that time, uh, sporting goods chains were growing themselves. And so they were constantly looking for product uh, to put on the shelves. It's a perfect match. Uh, good on you for seeing that white space. It, it, it is a good match. And it's also from, from that, from the retailer's point of view, it's higher margin product than they're used to selling. Because, you know, when you're selling Nike clothing and when you're selling, you know, certain pieces of, of um, fitness equipment, the margins are not so great and they and the revenue per square foot because this is you know it's big stuff. The revenue per square foot is not always great. But on 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 toys they could be making fifty plus points and it fits into a pretty small space. Yep. Yep. Uh, what what were some of the biggest hits that you worked on? What and what made them work? Was it was it margin? Was it play value? What uh, as you think back over your career, what were the biggest hits? Um you know it's funny I think I said earlier I've never really worked on on massive hits, kind of one-off hits. I've really worked, like, I feel like my hits have come from working on strong brands. So I've worked on things like um, the Koosh Ball, the Vortex Football, um, our Green Toys, you know, it, it was a, a great brand. And and at Hogwild, obviously, you know, we've got our, our Poppers, which are a massive brand, which we're really focusing on and, and trying to grow. Um, so, you know, I, I would say rather than the hits, um, that, that I always feel are, are short-term um, propositions. I really like to, to focus on, on brands. And sometimes, you know, we, we, when we were at Odds On and we were, we were showing the Koosh brand, we would be at Toy Fair. And most Toy Fairs, people have a sign next to their new products saying, you know, saying this is new for this year. At, 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 with Koosh, we never even said which ones were the, were the new products because we were so focused on the brand. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's a good call. Uh, I love the brands inside Hog Wild. So let's shift the conversation to there. You have built a business out of uh, balls popping out of things, right? <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and at both ends. Right. <laughs> yeah, p- pigs, unicorns, dinos, llamas, yes. av- avocados for crying out loud. I know, uh, that's, that's uh, one of the best sellers. <laughs> so, so tell me about that brand. It's, it's hilarious, it's bright, it's colorful. It's a no-brainer to throw in the buggy and uh, please a kid for, for hours on end, you know, popping it safely around the house. Um, so yeah, let's, let's dive into that one. That's a big deal. Yeah, it's, it's really, it, it, it's kind of the driving ethos behind the company is, is it, basically, is it funny? Is it, you know, we, I think we're a very irreverent company. Um, everything is done with a sense of humor. And every time we put a product together, you know, we're, we're designing the products. The first question we ask is, will this make people smile? Will it make people smile? And if people are smiling, then they're picking it up off the shelf. Then they're using the try me. Then they're laughing. Then they're showing it to their friends and then their friends are smiling. And that's the beauty of a product like that, that can just snowball into something great. Uh, Handy grabs is a great example of this. I know you're having success with handy grabs. This, this, you know, seemingly simple idea of this grabber, different types of hands that, that uh, can help you to reach places you don't normally reach. Tremendously useful product, but also hilarious because of these tiny rubber hands in the, in the front. So uh, it's that type of product that can just really snowball and bring smiles to face. It also plays really well. Uh, on social media, uh, tell me about some of your experience with social media. Yes, so so we actually, um, yeah, that that's been a big focus. We actually just brought in um, someone to manage a dedicated dedicated person to manage our social media about three months ago, and she is just doing an incredible job. Um, just posting, you know, posting everywhere: Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, um, TikTok, and and because it's fun product, you know you. You can really do some just just some great little mini videos and, and photos. Like the the newest the handy grabs the newest one that we have is called Nibblers, mm. and it's it's basically instead of having hands on it, it has teeth. Um, <laughs> and so so yeah, so basically you can pick up food with this you know basically with what looks like a, a set of false teeth, and it's just right. again it, it it's hilarious. And and I think you know to to go back to your point, Phil. What we what we try to do with a lot of our products is take something that that might be kind of a an item that people have seen before, and and we we invented our own our own verb. We we hog wildify it. So we mm. take the we take something like handy grabs, which everyone's seen a version of handy grabs. But once you start putting teeth on it, and you start putting hands or animal claws on it, then you can just really make it into just just a a really fun, different product that people will talk about. That's great. A new uh, take on uh, Eddie Goldfarb's great chattering teeth. Chattering yep. teeth, n- never not funny. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Grandma's teeth in a jar, always a hit. We, we, we have fake poo and that's, you know, that will never <laughs> not be funny. <laughs> Absolutely true. Absolutely true. We, we talked earlier in the conversation about evangelists and how specialty markets can become evangelists. You know, in, in the same way, uh, social media works like that. You, you get people that that come on board, that try the product and, and they begin to build ev- an evangelist system for that type of product. Um, so, so tell me when, when you're working with social media influencer, 
What types of things are you hoping that they do with the product, ways that they show it? Do they need to align with Hogwild's sense of humor? And as they're communicating that brand to their viewers, um, what's the relationship there? I, you know, yeah, I mean, we hope that they align with our sense of humor, but sometimes, you know, I mean, they've got their own sense of humor or they've got their own style. And I've seen people do things with our products that we would never have thought of. And it's like, there are so many creative people out there and sometimes you've just got to set them free. Yeah. Just let them run. Give give them the, give them the teeth and let them run. Yeah. I mean, we don't, you know, we don't, again, we're not a, we're not a very kind of corporate, I hate to use the word button down, but we're, we're not, we're not kind of, you know, we don't send people a, a, a style guide and say, hey, if you're going to post about our products, this is how it has to look. We, right. you know, we, we enjoy the, the diversity and the, the eclectic nature of what people do with our products. And, and it's hard not to have fun with Hogwild products. So they tend to, to come through pretty nicely for us. They get it. Uh, so your plans to return to your novelty toy roots, that that's an interesting phrase. You're returning to your novelty toy roots. Tell me about that. Why do you feel like it's a return? Um, I think, you know, some of the products that we, we did for a little while kind of got us away from that in terms of, you know, some of the, whether it was a game that was kind of more mainstream, more traditional um, and, and again, I think it, it's going back to returning to having that sense of humor and just saying, you know, as we, as we create these, these new brands and these new products, will it make people laugh and, and will it get us into the kind of stores where we want our products to see? And like a, a great example is a new game that we're just launching called Tapes. And it's, yes. it's a measuring game. Um, and basically you can, you can measure anything at all that you want. And usually when I do a trade show, I tend, if, if a buyer comes into my booth at a trade show to see tapes, I have people guess the circumference of the buyer's head in gummy bears. <laughs> and, and again, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a product that how can you not have fun doing that? And, right. you know, we've, you know, I mean, you can pretty much measure anything in the room and you can measure it in hamsters, you can measure it in squirrels, you can measure it in soda cans. <laughs> Um, the one that really tends to fox most of my U.S. Cons- customers is they can't measure things in centimeters. No, that's true. That's true. We, we, <laughs> <laughs> got a real problem. I have no idea what a centimeter is. I'm a very, very big problem with that. Uh, I love it. It's such a it's such a great idea for a game. It's something that you know that we we joke about and and we do from time to time. But it's it's such a it's just a fun idea for a game. Uh, are, are you a pretty good player of that game? Have you, you, you got a strategy? I'm getting better. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm getting better. Um, I also choose my favorite measurements so that I can, I can, I can gain the system a little bit, but the nice, one of the nice pieces of feedback we've had about it as well is, is from educators who are actually saying, you know, one of, one of the best ways obviously to, to teach a kid is to teach them without them knowing they're being taught and playing this game. It really does have an educational side, but you don't really perceive it at the time you're playing it. Yeah, well, there's, there's that spatial awareness aspect of That's it. Exactly. Well, how big is a gummy bear? Well, let me think about how big a gummy bear is, and then compare that to the circumference of your head. Um, there's some there's some imaginative thought that's happening there, isn't there? Yeah, and it's interesting because we actually um, just took on, took on the worldwide rights for this game because it's been going so well for us in the U.S. and the version that we produced just has, has been so popular that the inventor of the game, who's actually a guy out of the UK, asked us to take it on for the rest of the world. And um, so we we're kind of we're actually gonna go to Distory next week and show it to probably fifty international distributors. And we're gonna talk about how do we 
basically make this a global product because not everyone, you know, particularly maybe wants to measure in gummy bears or maybe they don't want to measure in hamsters. Maybe they don't have hamsters in their country. Right. Right. No, that's a good, um, that's a good question. You have to go through every, yeah. every challenge and, uh, and figure out, uh, per, per country, what they do and, and, and don't have and what's going to resonate and what's not. That's yeah, going to be absolutely. a, that's going to be a fun experience, Steve. It really will. And that's, that's <laughs> one of the, one of the, one of the things that I love most about the toy industry is trying to take products global and, you know, try to, try to localize them for each market or, or, or kind of give them international appeal. So this is one that we're really excited about. That's right. That's right. And then opening new retail channels. That's another of, of your initial initiatives. Um, who are you looking to sell to? Where do you see the white space for hog wild? I don't want to give away too many secrets in case sure. my competitors get there before I do. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but um, I would say one of, one of the things that we're doing, you know, and, and again, I'd rather address this in kind of vaguer terms. But one of the things that I, I tend to do because it's, it's been my whole career is when I go into any kind of store to buy anything that I personally need, I try to figure out how my products would fit in there. Um, and, and, you know, some of, some of the direction that we're taking right now is that we're moving towards more impulse price points because a lot of those stores, you know, you, you need to be below, you know, maybe 9.99 to, to really even have them look at at you as a toy product because toy is not their core business, but they're also looking for incremental business and, and really the, the best way to get the incremental business at a, at a store that you wouldn't normally get into. I found the most successful ways to do it through impulse price product. Yeah. 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 Get it into the hands and, and grow the brand from that impulse uh, price point as well. Uh, hopefully it catches on and you can expand on top of that. Steve, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. This has been an absolute blast guys. Uh, stay tuned until after the show, I'm going to ask Steve about uh, some of the product that he's potentially sending to the Ukraine, how that came about. And I think it's going to open up a really interesting discussion and probably open some eyes about what you can do with product in your inventory rather than just destroy it. We do this sometimes uh, in the in the toy industry. We'll have product, we have inventory, and we're asked to destroy it. What do you do? Let me tell you, there are better things to do than destroy it. But Steve, this has been an absolute pleasure. Um, how can people reach out to you? I know you'll be at Distoy and Astra and looking forward yep. to, to getting uh, back together face to face. But um, yeah, how can they reach out? Who would you like to reach out and how can they reach you? Um, you know, anybody who wants to put our products in their stores, I would, I would love to hear from them, obviously. Um, anyone who's got ideas for new products, you know, we're always always willing to, to talk to people with outside submissions. A lot of our best products come from those channels. Uh, they can reach me, uh, Steve at Hogwilds, Hog, sorry, Steve at hogwildtoys.com or they can find me on LinkedIn or Facebook. Fantastic. Well, Steve, I love those big, bold catalogs. I love getting those and flipping through the great product and, and just being involved. So, Steve, thank you so much for coming on today. Very excited about what lies ahead and uh, hopefully be seeing some hog wild product in some interesting specialty locations. Very excited about we'll, that. We'll try and surprise you, Phil. We'll try and surprise <laughs> you with where we pop up next. <laughs> Sounds great, Steve. Wonderful. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me, Phil. Thank you for tuning in to the Power Kid podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Leave five stars and a written review as this helps us connect with more listeners just like you. 
Once you're subscribed, you'll be able to check out the other shows from Adventure Media and Events. And a big thank you to them. They are the publishers of the Toy Book, the Toy Insider, and the Pop Insider. We've got you covered on all toy industry news and events. This show is produced by Power Kid Design and Development. We are a full-service toy and game development studio serving the industry for more than 20 years. We provide illustration, branding, packaging, sculpting, prototyping, consulting, and much more. Check out PowerKidDesign.com or email me at Phil at PowerKidDesign.com. Now go out and make something great. And remember, you are creative because you were created. God bless, and I'll see you next episode. So, Steve, tell me about uh, what Hogwild is doing with Ukraine. It's a fascinating story to me about product and inventory and what do you do with it and, and what the possibilities are. So, so take us through how you're helping. So this actually came about, Phil, and um, I owe you a, a debt of gratitude for this. You had a good friend of mine, Andy Wiener, from the Toy Foundation yes, indeed. on your podcast, along with um, Pam Mastroda a few weeks ago. And they were talking about the things that the Toy Foundation were doing to help kids in Ukraine. Um, and so it just kind of stuck in my mind. It was a, just, just a, a great reminder of, of the, the amazing people in the toy industry. Um, and so as we were just facing a situation where we had excess inventory on something and we were basically told that we needed to destroy it, we just we looked at, at, at what else we could do with it because it just seemed like a shame to destroy it. And it was a lot of products. Yeah. And I remembered your conversation with Andy and Pam. And so we're working on um, hopefully sending that to the Ukraine sometime pretty soon. Um, and, and again, you know, it, it's just a reminder that there are ways that, that the great people in the toy industry can help people who need help right now. Well, thank you for that story. That, that is so encouraging to, to hear that, that, you know, that connection uh, came from that conversation. That's wonderful. Uh, yeah, I think it's an important point to drive home. Um, a lot of times we'll have this excess inventory. Uh, it'll be asked to destroy it. There are better things to do <laughs> with toy product often than, than just destroy it, than just get rid of Absolutely. it. And this is one of those things. And I'm, I'm just very encouraged to hear that, um, that some product will be making its way over to help that situation. And uh, I uh, absolutely concur. We've got some fantastic people in the industry. Uh, it seems like we're always looking out for kids and trying to do the best uh, for kids that, that we can and give them great play experiences uh, that can grow them into the future. So that, that is what it's all about. Absolutely. Yeah. Couldn't, couldn't agree more, Phil. Yeah. Well, thank you for hanging out after the show and, and uh, talking about that. It's very exciting.